Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Well, uh, we're going to be continuing on uh, in our study of beautiful feet. This week, if I remember right, this is week eight. Week eight. Thank you guys. Eight weeks you have hung in there and the auditorium is not empty. Praise the Lord. That's always exciting. It's the middle of the summer. I'm being told the connection is not good here. Oh, I unplugged the iPad. I'll unplug it more, maybe. There's nothing plugged in any longer. Um, So we've begun getting an overall vision for why we name this class Beautiful Feet, what our desire is, which is that God would continue to use us all the more so, um, as he has in the past, help us not only have beautiful theology, but beautiful feet. Uh, That is God's desire and vision to use his people uh, to bring about his glory filling the earth. And of course, we know it's not a question of if, but just when, and if we get to be a part, if we're willing to step out on faith. We're so thankful for that opportunity. Um, We built a gospel understanding, which two weeks was that? Week three and week four. Week three, we looked at who is God, who is man. Got an implicit understanding of those two things biblically. And then, of course, we looked at the rest of the gospel. What is sin? Who is Christ? How are we called to respond to the gospel? Uh, Bo gave us a great week on evangelism and the sovereignty of God, um, overcoming that hurdle sometimes theologically as it is for some. And then we began to move towards not only having beautiful hearts and beautiful minds, but hopefully beginning to have beautiful hands, which will lead to having beautiful feet. We need to equip ourselves. We need to feel prepared and ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. So this week, we're going to continue on with that. I'll work on the slides here. I need to undo the HDMI here in a moment. Um, This morning, I am excited to get to work with you guys on the law diagram. Many of you guys may be very familiar with the law diagram, but in the off chance that you're not, or if you are, this could be hopefully a refresher. Um, And the way I approach it may be different than how others have approached it. I have found at the end of the day, our desire is to expose people to God's word. That's the purpose of any of these tools, right? Isn't that we have any hope or trust in the tool, but just that we have confidence in the word of God. And if we can put God's word in front of folks in helpful, useful, maybe even visual ways, we pray that God would use that because we know he's faithful to his word. Let me pray uh, as we dive in this morning, lay out a little perspective for us, and then we will dive into an opportunity to practice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to do as the psalmist said, that if there's one thing I'd seek, one thing I'd desire with all of my heart, one thing I would ask, Lord, it was that I could sit at your feet to gaze upon your beauty, God, to inquire. Lord, we are so thankful that we get to so freely come and to gather together. God, so freely come and to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. So freely come and to sit underneath the teaching of your word, to be challenged, to be reproved, to be corrected, to be trained in righteousness, God. Why? So that we may be competent, complete, ready for every good work. Lord, you made us for a purpose, a beautiful purpose, first and foremost, to glorify you, But God, not just glorify you by you doing a work of redemption in us, but Lord, you allow us to be a part of that message of reconciliation and see redemption happen in others, not because of us, but because of you. We get to be your tools if we have beautiful feet. Lord, we're so thankful for that privilege, so thankful for that opportunity, so thankful for that responsibility. And Lord, we pray this morning that you, like you did with the apostles on the road to Emmaus, would light our hearts on fire as we hear your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word with you, I actually want to start um, right there in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. As I was 
praying over just a second ago, reading this this morning, and so it was on my heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, I suppose. But I was thinking about what is a helpful context and motivation for why the law diagram is helpful, instructive, useful. Why are any of these diagrams helpful, useful, instructive uh, at all? I couldn't help but get past Luke 24. Hopefully it's, it's helpful for you as well. Of course, contextually with the road to Emmaus, um, you have... I should not be, no. Um, should, oh, really? Okay. I'm just hoping to do the slides real quick, is all. Yes. Sorry, guys. Technologies. As they're on the road to Emmaus, of course, you know, Peter uh, has just ran to the tomb to find that Jesus' body is not there, as he was told um, by the gals who were there first. And when he discovers that it's not there, there's a few men immediately after, two men, matter of fact, right? They're going on their way on the road to Emmaus, actually to a village named Emmaus. Verse 13, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So not too far, right? Within a, a day's journey of Jerusalem where Jesus would have been crucified and buried. They're talking with each other about the things that have happened. And while they're talking, Jesus himself draws near. I love this. And he went with them, just walking up beside them. Of course, Christ knows that they cannot recognize him, right? Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Christ says to these men, what is that you're talking about? And they stood there looking sad. And then one of them said, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Of course, Christ obviously knows. He's just helping them come along here. And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet. Stop there. The man who was what? They stopped quite short of calling him the Messiah. Quite short. They just beheld the life and the death and are hearing of the resurrection of Christ, and they called him not the Messiah, just a prophet. It's interesting. Interesting. The man who was a prophet, a mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we hoped, we're not convinced, we're not believing. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We hoped he was the Messiah. We hoped he was something more. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us, and they were at the tomb early in the morning. And they did not find his body and came back saying that they'd seen visions of angels and that he was alive. Some of those who were with us at the tomb even found it. Peter, just as the women had said, and they did not see him. And he said to them, here it is. Jesus is cutting to the quick, being quite honest with them, but loving them. Oh, foolish ones, oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer in these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Here gets to the part. So the Jew near to the village, he was acting as if he was going to go further. Jesus was going to keep going, but they urged him, no, stay with us, stay with us. They were loving this opportunity with whoever this mysterious man was that was opening up the word of God to them. Stay with us, stay with us. So he stayed. They went ahead, got a table, had a meal. He took the bread and he broke it. He blessed it and he broke it. When did Jesus last do this, right? The night before his crucifixion, last supper, right? He blessed it. He broke the bread. He gave it to them. It was in that moment their eyes were opened. Of course, the Lord is allowing their eyes to be opened, but it was in that aha moment. Wait a second. We just saw this. <laughs> when did we see this before? And they saw that it was Christ. They understood who was before them, and then he was gone, and then he was gone. And I love how they responded. This is much of the point. Did our hearts not burn within us 
while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures. Much of what we are going to struggle with as we seek to have beautiful feet and share the gospel with our friends and family and those around us is we are going to struggle with the fact of Ezekiel 36, a heart of stone. Just as it was the case for you and for myself before Christ broke into our lives and changed us and removed a heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh as we are going to be exposed to truths, but the simple fact is, is they will cascade off our hearts like water off of a rock and then just pass on by unless something changes. What will melt that heart of stone? Brothers and sisters, it is the word of God. Did our hearts not burn as he opened up the word to us, as he explained to us the scriptures, as he explained to us the gospel from beginning to end, how what God was doing from Genesis through 3 and will complete all the way to Revelation, it's all about Christ and how he's coming to redeem his people. Jesus, he was this prophet. No, brother, sister, that was so much more. He is so much more. It is the word of God that will melt the heart of stone and give someone a heart of flesh. This morning, that's the reason we have so much confidence in the law diagram. Why do we want to expose people to the word of God and our hopes of seeing them come to know Christ? Because God tells us in his word that he will use his word. Think about how God describes his word in his word in Psalm 119. Follow along with me if you would. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. God goes on to describe his word, right? Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating the division of soul, spirit, joints, marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Think about that. It's living and active. As you expose the word of God to folks, it will discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God may pierce their heart and help them actually understand the thoughts and intentions of their own heart if he is gracious and he melts their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He also describes in 2 Timothy some of the purposes of his word. Apologies, that's a little too small. The word of God is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be equipped for every good work, that we may be competent, complete, perfected even, that God is doing about his progressive sanctification in us through his word. He uses his word for reproof, for correction, which is one of our desires from this morning is we're going to use the word of God to help correct wrong thinking for folks about themselves. And I think Paul said it wonderfully in Ephesians 1 when he was praying for them, saying, never ceasing my prayers for you that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened. I love that. Kind of mysterious language, right? Your hearts don't have eyes. But that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened. You might see, clear through the fog, be able to understand and discern the truths and beauties of the gospel. And that is our hope this morning. So for many folks, um, as you're sharing with them as you're trying to help them come to know Christ, what would be, as you guys have over the years, some of the most difficult circumstances? What are some of the things that are most difficult in helping someone see their need for Christ? Just curious. I'd love to hear. What are some of the things you guys have found to be the most difficult barriers? Yeah. Mm. siblings family members yeah those you have actually the most relational history with quite a lot to lose in those situations too yeah what else yeah someone who's really satisfied with how their life is going mm -hmm. they feel fulfilled they don't see why they would need 
someone who's already feeling very satisfied, perceiving to have no real needs in life. Absolutely. Yeah, Jimmy. Hmm. See, Jimmy knows where I'm going, so he's filling in the thank you, Jimmy. Someone who always already feels righteous. They don't see a need for Christ because they think they've got it maybe all together already. There's many things that can be great barriers. This morning, what we're hoping to address is that one right there. No one seeks out a physician that does not think they're sick, right? No one. We don't like going to the doctor. I, I don't like going to the doctor. I don't know about you guys. Maybe, maybe there's some masochists in our presence here this morning. I don't like going to the doctor, so I avoid the doctor unless I'm really, really, really sick, and then I begrudgingly go. Maybe. After my wife convinces me. That's when I finally go. I hate going to the doctor. Nothing against doctors. It just weirds me out, right? It's going to be the same thing for our family members, our friends, those closest to us, maybe even coworkers who we're not as close to, but they're acquaintances. Whoever it is that we are praying and desiring for God to see come to know the Lord, sometimes the hardest person to help see their need for the great physician is if they don't think they are sick and they don't see their sin. They don't see their sin. Contextually, if you think about the Ten Commandments, which is what we are about to be looking at here, which is why you see a list of ten. Ah, see, now Deb's like, oh, there's ten dashes. Why are there ten dashes? And that's why. It's ten blanks. I told her it was going to be very obvious why there's ten blanks here pretty soon. Uh, not a lot of creativity on my part there for your outline this morning. But contextually, in Exodus 20, what had just happened with God's people what had just happened? Well, they were in slavery and bondage, right, in Egypt for generations. God had raised them up. We were just, I was just reading this actually in our little uh, kids Bible study book with, with Canaan. This, we were on, it was number eight, six, eight, I don't know. But anyways, that's where we are. It's so fun. It really helped me this morning. I was like, oh yeah, I feel really fresh about the context of Exodus. Here we go. All right. So kids Bible studies, do, do them with your kids. And God is leading them out of bondage, leading them out of slavery, helping them see, hey, you cannot do this yourself, right? If there's any thoughts that they could do it themselves, then they would be lost. And so he's like, oh, here, here's a pillar of cloud by day. Let me guide you. Oh, it's nighttime. Can't see the cloud. Oh, pillar of fire by night. Here you go. Let me guide you. Oh, come, come up to the Red Sea. Can't cross that. Oh, no problem. Let me divide that for you. Walk across on dry land. Oh, we get it to the other side. God miraculously saves us and destroys this Egyptian army that nobody should have any business being able to stop, not to mention untrained, unequipped, non-warrior Israel. And then they get to the other side. Ah, we're hungry. Oh, let me provide food for you every single day. But it's not going to last so that you can't store it up and think that you're taking care of yourself. So it's going to go bad every single day. God is constantly and consistently providing for his people, leading his people, helping them understand you cannot do anything without me. And then what is one of the next things that happens? He gives them his word. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And of course, his word is not limited to the Ten Commandments. The law is not limited to the Ten Commandments and any of the things that we've been talking about this morning. So I want to be really clear about that. Our hope is not in the Ten Commandments. Our hope is in the total scripture of God's word, but God can use his word to do something, and it's exactly contextually what was happening in Exodus 20. Now you can hack all my stuff, you know, my password. And it was that we cannot do it ourselves. That is our hope this morning as we look at the law of God and see that it is perfect, that it is sure, that it is right, that it is pure, that it is clean, that it is true, that it is to be more desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, is that as we look at the law of God, the hope is that they will see themselves. And they will see that they just don't add up. The law diagram can be used for many helpful things, but over the years, <clears throat> that has been one of the most helpful things it has been for me, as I've been sharing with friends or family or acquaintances or whatever it might be, is helping them see their own insufficiency before God with the ultimate sufficient word of God. As we stand before a holy and righteous God and we look at his law and his demands of righteousness, we cannot help but hopefully see our own inadequacies as God melts our hearts. So that is the hope this morning. 
So, of course, we have the Ten Commandments. We know the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to put anybody on quiz this morning. Oh, that's too small again. I'm sorry, folks. So I use a Macintosh, and then when I send over the slides, it doesn't always translate well to PowerPoint, so I'm so sorry, folks. Turn to your copy of God's Word in Exodus chapter 20, if you would. <clears throat> that will make it a little bit easier for folks. <clears throat> Apologies, I'm having to clear my throat. I promise it's just allergies. I mowed my lawn yesterday because it was awful, and it always gets me <clears throat> all choked up. My beautiful lawn. So in Exodus chapter 20, you'll be able to follow along, see the Ten Commandments here. I'll read them off my notes, but then you'll have them there in front of you. If the slides are a little too small to squint and see, if your eyes are anything like mine, get in the wrong side of 30, often you got to have glasses. <clears throat> First and foremost, as you're sitting down with somebody, the hope is going to be, okay, why do we need anything, right? If someone is struggling to see their need for Christ, struggling to see their sin, struggling to see really, right, they've got it all together, they're pretty satisfied, the hope would be, well, okay, let's sit down and let's just see why did God do anything at all, right? Have you ever asked yourself, and this is the segue that's been helpful for me at times, <clears throat> God in his spirit could use all sorts of different things, I imagine, to move you in the direction of having this conversation, but this could just be one that hopefully might be helpful for some of you, is if you're talking to somebody and you're able to get into spiritual things, <clears throat> to present to them, have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus come? Why did he have to die on a cross? What was the whole point, right? What does it all mean? And you might get a, a litany of answers, right? And they might be the wrong, right answer. It might be the wrong answer. You never know. But then that can easily segue you to, well, why don't we look at just 10 things to see how well, um, or to see one of the reasons why Christ might have come. Or another segue might have been, have you ever asked yourself, uh, who's the the guy who wrote the book, How Good is Good Enough. Does anybody remember? I don't remember who wrote that. Stanley? No. Was it Stanley? Yeah? I'm getting a nod. Maybe? I don't know. Double check me on that. Google that. There's a pretty good book out there written, How Good is Good Enough. Just the idea of being, what does it take to get into heaven, right? How many check marks do you have to have beside your name on you know, the righteousness scale in order to get into heaven? Or the, the cartoon figurine, someone comes to the gates of heaven in the clouds, right? And there's St. Peter or Andrew there at the gates, right? How many check marks do you have to have before they'll, they'll let you in? And it's a fun little test to be able to do. You know, I think about Paul talking to the Corinthians, test yourselves, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith, unless, of course, you fail the test. So for those that like tests or are real competitive, maybe that's a fun little segue to get into this as well. Have you ever tested yourself to see, you know, how you would measure up? If God were to look at you according to the standards of his word and something as simple as the Ten Commandments, which obviously the standards of his words are far more exceeding than just the Ten Commandments, but most of us are at least familiar with the Ten Commandments, how would you measure up? How do you think that God would look at your life according to his standards, not yours, his standards, and evaluate good, bad, or otherwise, right? And then that can lead you into being able to work your way through the Ten Commandments. You're like, oh, okay, well, let's do that. Turn to your copy of God's Word, or once again, another shameless plug for Scripture memory. Hopefully have it memorized and be like, okay, well, let's work our way. Another great way is to ask them, what are the Ten Commandments? And then write them down as you go along. Okay, writing them down, writing them down. And they may realize they don't even remember them well. But then again, hopefully many or all of us here Loving the Lord may not have them all memorized ourselves. So let's be gracious, even if they don't remember them all, right? Write them all down. And then my encouragement is to work your way through them one by one, okay? Do some check marks or X's. Do you feel like you have perfectly obeyed this your entire life, right? You have no other gods before me. Perfectly obeyed this your entire life. Now, you may have to do a little explaining here. What does it mean to have a God right before God, so on and so forth? So this is also a conduit to many kind of neat little conversations, right, about sin and about walking with God. No other carved idols, graven images. You're going to want to think through that one a little bit. How do I know if I've obeyed that? So on and so forth, right? No other Lord. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Cussing with his name. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. These are the ones where many people are going to start, you know, fessing up to pretty quickly and easy. Okay, I, yeah, I didn't 
Definitely haven't perfectly honored my father or my mother, you know, throughout my life. Uh, you shall not murder. Most of the time you're going to get a no here. I hope you're going to get a no here, right? Yeah, it depends. Maybe you're doing a mercy ministry at the jail. Um, you're probably going to get a no here. This is going to be a great opportunity to turn to what passage in scripture, folks? What comes to mind? Someone says no to this. Matthew 5, right? You have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you, oh, I love that. I mean, what a clear picture of Christ identifying with his deity right there. But I say to you, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, anyone who has anger in his heart has already committed murder against his brother in his heart. You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks lustfully upon a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, God's standard was much different, right? That could also be an opportunity to turn to the Old Testament. Man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. Mm. Right, what great conversations can be had as you're working your way through these, right? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks to the heart. Murder, adultery, shall not steal, not just taking gum from a grocery store. It could be stealing somebody's idea, taking credit for something that was somebody else's, right? There's lots of different ways that someone can steal. We're all guilty of this in some way or another. Bearing false witness. Contextually, it's talking about bearing false witness in court against somebody. Right? That was a number one of the leading ways in order to have testimony back then. And of course, people could go and lie and um, pull things over, but any kind of lying, any kind of bearing false witness, I think, would, would definitely line up here. And then, of course, coveting, right? Desiring something of someone else's, coveting. You may make your way through, and I would encourage you, okay, let's, let's do a top 10. You know, where, where are we at a 10? Do we have four out of 10 where we're good? Do we have three out of 10 that we're good? One, one out of 10, no out of 10. And then my encouragement is lovingly, graciously, kindly make your way back through it if you haven't hit them all yet. And help them see it's probably a zero out of 10. Now, you may not be able to convince them of that, and that's totally okay. It's totally okay, because we're going to head to something here in just a second that will help with that, understanding the righteous standards of God. But likely, they're going to see, okay, I'm not a 10 out of 10. I'm not a 10 out of 10. And then the question is going to be, okay, well, then what is the standard? What is the standard? And hopefully, they're going to see a zero out of 10, starting to feel a need for something, right? Oh, Boy, I don't add up. And then the next question is going to be, okay, well, what is God's standard, right? Is 5 out of 10 good enough? Is 1 out of 10 good enough? Is 2 out of 10? Does it speak to this anywhere in Scripture? So the next hope and the reason we had all these technological difficulties this morning, so apologies. That was not their fault. That was my fault. I keep throwing curveballs at our faithful guys serving us. So I'm switching to the iPad now, fellas. Right. I call this uh, a perfection diagram. There's probably uh, lots of other ways that other folks have described this over the years. So forgive me if uh, you've heard it explained differently, but hopefully it's helpful uh, to you guys. Is um, just to, with three circles, be able to help somebody understand what are the righteous standards of God. You might turn over your notes on the back here if you want to do some examples, and you're going to have to. Bear with me. Mike, don't laugh too hard when you see my handwriting this time. Um, but you want to walk them through, okay, where do we think we add up, right? And you're coming off the heels now of walking them through the Ten Commandments, so their view of self might be a little sobered here. We may have a little Romans 12.3 going on, hopefully. Uh, but the question is going to be, okay, if, if your life was a circle, right, and sin was the dark spots in the circle, right? Doot, 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 right? That's a little bit of sin. You can't really even hardly see that, so we'll just do some squigglies there, right? Okay, the question is, is how dirty is your life? How full of sin, right, is your cup? How sinful, when God looks down at your life, is he going to see? Is it really blotted or is it not very blotted? And just on a piece of paper, you just let them draw that themselves, right? And most folks, you know, if they're um, anything like many, uh, they may do a little under half. Maybe by being exposed to the word of God, they're going to be really sober. They might do a little bit bigger. You might be surprised, right? Uh, they might totally blacken it out at this point. God is completely gripping their heart and breaking them over their sin. A lot of times I see it's, you know, it's something normally a little under half. And then 
Most of the time, the question is going to be, okay, return to the question, what is God's standard? And the answer is often, well, I'm not as bad as real murderers, you know, and I'm not Adolf Hitler, and that's who hell is reserved for. And say, well, okay, show me, show me what you think God sees when, you know, he sees, you know, somebody that he's going to send to hell. What do you think it is that God typically sees when he's going to send someone to hell? And, of course, they're going to, you know, pretty much fill that thing up more than likely, right? Okay, this is, this is God's standards, right? If somebody is completely, utterly lost, right, and sinful, it's totally filled in. You know, Hitler or whoever it might be, fill in the blank. This is the individual that obviously hell is reserved for. God is a loving God, um, and obviously he has to have wrath, or many would hold to that, not all. And so these are the folks right here that the God would you know, send to hell and not have a right relationship with. And then, as gently and lovingly as you could, invite them to read Matthew 5, 48. You are already talking about Matthew 5, so you might already have a copy of God's Word available to you, or open, or pull it up on your phone. And of course, they're going to read, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's here that we see that it must be a 10 out of 10. Or... The amount of sin that God is willing to tolerate to enter into a right relationship with him or how good is good enough to go to heaven, which really isn't the goal. The goal is not to go to heaven. The goal is to be with Christ and to be in a perfect unity, unsentainted relationship with God, to enjoy that perfect intimacy, right? If, if God isn't in heaven, if Jesus isn't in heaven, I don't want to be there, right? That needs to be the goal. That needs to be what we're encouraging folks to, not just getting to go to heaven and seeing relatives or your old dog or whatever it might be, but Christ, right? And Matthew 5, 48 would then point them to saying, utter, absolute perfection is God's standard. This hopefully will be the crux moment where you really get to share the gospel with somebody, right? And it's why we've hopefully been doing things in the order that we have is this could lead to the bridge diagram. This could lead to just talking about Christ. Uh, a simple, easy verse that you could do also is just 2 Corinthians 5.21 at this point. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Does anybody remember that verse? Scripture memory, shameless plug. For our sake... Uh-huh. 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 So that in him, right, through faith and trust in him, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, it's a great passage just explaining the great exchange. Uh, one of the best illustrations I ever saw, old staff person, years ago would say, you know, imagine this cell phone is sent, which isn't too hard to think about, right? Imagine this cell phone is sent, right? And here's you over here with your cell phone, with your sin. And then here's Jesus over here, no cell phone, no sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that through faith and trust in him, we might become the righteousness of God, right? The great exchange. Christ takes my sin. I take and get through faith and trust in him, his righteousness. And now I get the righteousness of God. When God looks at me, no sin. Perfect circle, right? Why? Because I am getting the unmerited righteousness of Christ. When God looks at me, he sees Christ's record. He sees Christ's 10 out of 10, not my zero out of 10, right? There may be conversations about, you know, the righteousness of God to, uh, you know, is it okay for someone who has a nine out of 10 or so on and so forth, right? You can go to James and anyone who has fallen short just one time, right? Or just broken one part of the law is guilty of all of it, right? That's another very helpful passage there in James. Talk about because God's righteous standards is perfection, right? If you had a, a beautiful, wonderful cup of coffee in the morning, you're drinking your lovely brew, how much arsenic are you comfortable with being poured into it? Just a little drop? Just a lot of drops, nine out of 10 drops, one out of, no, any drops whatsoever, I'm done, right? Imperfection. God cannot be in fellowship with sin. For what does light have to do with darkness, right? 
Um, and so it's an opportunity to talk about the glory of God, the perfection of God, the holiness of God, to really lift him up, right, and help them see his beauty. What a great conversation it could be, right? So many directions, of course, you could go as the Spirit leads and as you see opportunity in the person's life, but hopefully a very helpful illustration. I actually want to open it up to brief questions. I didn't do this last couple times, and i uh, kind of got a gut feeling that it might be helpful, might not. And then I want to give um, about 10, 15 minutes, once again, for practice. But any questions as you guys are thinking through the law diagram or the, uh, the circle diagrams there um, for any of you guys? Yes, Dan. Would, uh, would the Matthew 5, 48 passage be helpful where Jesus, in the Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the passages, we, uh, I, I might have mentioned it really briefly, but yes, absolutely. I would hold that right in tandem with those two verses, absolutely. And of course, if you use Matthew 5 earlier, talking about murder and adultery, helping them understand right, God's standard of murder and adultery, it's easier to just go to the right Matthew 5.48 later as well. Not that you have to, of course, but absolutely. Anything else? Questions? You guys got it. Love it. All right, so here's what I'd like to do. Once again, with whoever you're near, or if you're not near anybody, um, get near somebody. But on the back or on the front, if you haven't already written in the Ten Commandments, I'd love for you guys just to take a moment to be able to practice it a little bit. Once again, our desire is not to just have beautiful hearts or beautiful minds, though absolutely that's where we want to start, but that God would lead us to have beautiful hands and then beautiful feet as we go out into the world. So, yes, Nate. Please. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think you got to pile on, <laughs> you know, if, if God is convicting. Yeah. The hope is, is, is that that would be the case, right? If that's the case, it's like, oh, right. All right. Like God's doing something here. The spirit's gripping. They're understanding their need for Christ. Let's go straight to it. Be like, absolutely. That's hundred percent the case. You could talk about James two, whatever it might be. It's like, that's actually all of our stances before God, right? The smallest of sins, this least bit of imperfection, right? There is a need for Christ because God standards are Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But how do we get that perfection, right? You can just run right into that. Second Corinthians five twenty one, or whatever passage you think is helpful. But once again, our confidence is not in our delivery of any illustration. Our confidence is, is not in how good your handwriting is as, as they see it there. Your confidence is, is in the word of God, right? Uh, so I really want to encourage you guys, tuck some of these helpful passages away in your heart. Hopefully you've seen while you're on the fly there that it's so helpful if you just have some of God's word tucked away in your heart, first and foremost, for just your own intimacy and walk with God, but additionally, as a useful vessel for the king, right? That if you have God's word tucked away and hidden in your heart, you'll be amazed at the things that the spirit in that moment will just grab and bring to the surface and say, no, share this, share this, Caleb, share this, Nate. Um, and God uses his word in that way. So, all right, well, if there's not any others, I'll give you guys an opportunity here. You still have about 14 minutes to be able to um, practice with each other. So maybe take seven minutes, split, take seven minutes for the other individual, and then I'll pull us back together here and dismiss us for service.
That's a good question. All right, folks, we're going to pull it back together. Um, Deb, of course, had the, uh, the, the best question of the day, which is, have you ever done the circle diagram with somebody and then they put no dirt in the circle whatsoever, no sin? I honestly cannot say that has ever happened. So if that ever happens to any of y'all, um, Lord bless you and pray. And <laughs> um, yeah, go, maybe, yeah, maybe you just go through the Ten Commandments again. It kind of reminds me of a baptism story my dad told one time of a really rough guy from the coal mines who you know, came to know the Lord and went and got baptized and the water was really cold and he gets up out of the water and he shouts an explicit and he's like, man, that water was cold. The pastor just looked around at everybody, dunked him in the water again. Uh, I don't know, if they're not seeing it, maybe share the word of God with them again, pray for them. I wish I had a better answer than that. Well, let me uh, rally us together here. Let me pray, we'll be dismissed so folks can come in and start getting ready for service. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you that you are not a God who is far off. You are not a God who is far away. Lord, you have been near. You have come near to us. You sent the seraphim with the blazing hot coals to cleanse away the sin of your prophet, to then send him and go. You, Lord Jesus, left the right hand of the throne of God and came as a man and live the life we couldn't live, and died the death we deserve to die also, that through faith and trust in you, we can have a right relationship with you, Father. And now go, and now go. Lord, you are near to us. We pray that we would experience that nearness, that we would know your nearness is our good this morning, and worship you, and enjoy you, and then as we leave these doors, make you known by, by having beautiful feet. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name.